0: Hey, this is Brennan, yourself from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. And I wanna to start today with a question. Would you say that you are in a moment of disruption? You're in a moment of disruption, a season perhaps, where you are finding maybe conflict or pressure or frustration or heat, or some sense of maybe displacement, that that things are unsettled, would you say that that would be true of you? If you are a follower of Jesus, I have good news for you. If you are experiencing disruption, or conflict, or displacement, God has not withdrawn himself from you, but in fact, these are telltale signs that he's doing something for you, that he's actually moving in your midst. I want to talk just for a few minutes today about making way for King Jesus. And what happens when Jesus himself and the reality of his kingdom starts to move in your life, what ends up taking place? I have a premise this morning, and that is this. When Jesus begins to move in our lives, it always corresponds with things in your world being replaced, removed, rearranged, reordered, and refined the bigger the move of god and the bigger of bless the bigger the blessing he wants to give you the more movement and shifting and displacement and disruption and conflict you will actually find in your life the kingdom actually comes through this violent undertaking in your soul where there's this war at work where god is starting to press in on your world to make your world more like his world this is what happens and i've actually found this is a true thing, not just for my life and my soul with God, but this is just a principle in the world that we live in. This is just a matter of fact that the biggest blessings that you and I experience in this life also correspond and correlate with the biggest burdens. Has anybody known, known that to be true? How many of you are, are, who are married, you would raise your hand and say, my spouse is my biggest blessing. You should raise your hand right now. I just, saw, I just saw a husband raise his wife's hand which makes my second point really easy. How many of you would say simultaneously that blessing is also my greatest burden and frustration? Don't raise your hand, <laughs> Oh, don't raise your hand, just look up here, eyes up here men, yeah eyes up here. No, I've found that to be true. Every blessing comes with a corresponding burden and challenge and every victory and joy in my life comes on the other side of a fight and a battle. And maturity and character, how many know maturity and character are always forged in the fire and pressure of life? I have found true peace only on the other side of big storms. This seems to be the way the world works, that despite what marketers will tell you, good things don't come easy. The best things in life do not come cheap. In fact, they cost you the most. And the things that bless you the most will actually challenge you the most. You found this when you got married, I suspect. When you, I remember when Melanie and I got married. She had been living on her own for a number of years. She is a registered nurse making good money. And she married this guy who just got out of the dorm. Had all kinds of debt and dysfunction to deal with. And I'll tell you what, there was a conflict of two people becoming one. It all of a sudden, this battle of two individuals having to learn to deal with being one flesh, it's a challenge. Anybody remember those times? You're like, hey, we're still in those times. Yep, it's called marriage. It's an ongoing process. Or maybe, maybe some of you who are new parents, I love how God has so blessed our church. Just with babies everywhere. We're so thankful for that. But I love seeing new parents. It's just the best. And it's like a rite of passage for those of you who have survived the baby years to be like, to kind of just smile and nod and like a, a knowing sort of arrogant look when you see a new, new, new couple come in with the car seat on that eight-day-old baby. And you're like, oh boy, you're going to get tired, right? <laughs> I, I have noticed that when one baby enters the world, another one has to leave, right? The baby in me ends up having to go, it just does that. I, I'll never forget. I was probably, we just had Ava. I would have been like 25 years old. So just kind of not that old. And I remember my friends still hadn't had babies yet. And they were still like young and out, staying out late and all that stuff. And I remember she was like three months old, colicky. And like we spent, nights were brutal. And so this one night we got her to bed and my phone rings and I answer the phone. I'd been asleep for two hours and my buddy's like, hey, you want to go out? And I'm like, do you have any idea what time it is? It is 9.30. <laughs> I was sleeping, right? You just have, you're just forced to change. This is what happens. The biggest blessings in life also are the biggest disruptors. And a lot of the time, we actually will miss out on the fullness of the blessing because we aren't willing to tough out and deal with the conflict that it produces. This is why a lot of marriages fall apart. They just couldn't get over themselves enough to be one. That their individual realities just could not take a back seat to this new life that God wanted to make in them. Or this is why a lot of, like we have people who experience deadbeat fathers. That's because your dad who had no, just investment in your life never figured out that in order for me to be a good father I have to stop being a little boy. They didn't deal with the conflict that it requires, but these blessings, they come with burdens. The biggest blessings carry the heaviest burdens, and the most life-giving things in this world tend to cost us the most. And the real, big, life-giving, satisfying, joy-bringing realities of our world, some of you know this, they will not concede any space. They demand to take up the space that they want. And I say all this in this introduction to to help you understand this is how King Jesus moves in your life. This is how Jesus comes in and begins to establish his rule and his world in your life. He comes in and begins to move things, wanting to give you all the blessing that he has. But you have to make room. I've noticed this to be true, and some of you probably could concur. If you've been around the church for a while and you've noticed there are levels to this stuff, I've seen some people very much experience the life of faith and others kind of just float around the fringes and never really experience the life that Jesus has. But here's what I've found to be true. The people who experience the most life from Jesus are the people who make the most room in their life for Jesus. That actually get out of the way and say, Jesus, you be king and I'll be servant, and you take the space that you want, I have found there is a direct correlation to your level of surrender to his lordship and ability to let him be who he wants to be and go where he wants to go will be the degree of life and vitality you experience from him. But a lot of us, we get robbed because we want to have it both ways, or we find it difficult. I remember the great uh, English English preacher and theologian G.K. Chesterton once said that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, but it's been found difficult and left untried. The challenge of Jesus coming into someone's life often disrupts people to the point where they withdraw instead of yield and allow him to do what he wants. When Jesus draws near... Expect conflict. This is what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about John the Baptist and how the kingdom suffers violence. And the the violent take it by force that there's this conflict to experiencing the fullness of the kingdom. And a lot of people never experience what God has for them because they will not deal with the conflict of his lordship. This is why, this is what we talk about on on Palm Sunday, today being Palm Sunday, was the day that all of these people in Jerusalem welcomed Jesus in as king, but then when Jesus started to establish his kingdom in a way that they did not quite like, by the end of the time Jesus spent in Jerusalem, most of those people had fled the scene. Why? Because they didn't want to deal with the reordering and the conflict that Jesus was about to bring. This happens today, too. Many people fall away. I mean, we have, we're going to celebrate baptisms next week, and there's going to be people who experience the grace of Jesus, they're baptized in the waters, and their lives will never be the same. They're going to be different people as time goes on, as Jesus transformed them. However, in my time here, I've been senior pastor for almost 10 years, I've been here for 16 years, in the last 10 years, we've baptized around 800 people. Of all of those 800 people, not all of them experienced the life and transformation and ongoing growth of following Jesus. Some of them got baptized and we never saw them again. It's the ones who learn to make room for Jesus to move who experience the life that Jesus has for them. I tell you all this because this will give you some insight on what we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 3. You start to see, this is the first time in Matthew's gospel where you see Jesus kind of get established as king. And for the next handful of chapters and pages, you start to see this story unfold of Jesus establishing his kingdom, ultimately leading to the cross and to his resurrection. But this is that moment where he bursts on the scene and his public ministry begins. And there's a bunch of ways we could have looked at this story of John the Baptist. We could have drawn parallels to the Exodus. We could have looked at how it ties into the book of Genesis. We could have explored the life of John the Baptist. But what I want us to notice today It's just what's happening as Jesus comes on the scene so that you and I can have a framework of what might be happening as Jesus may be drawing nearer in your life. That you you might be going through disruption or refinement and you might think this is a strange thing but in fact this is something that is God's doing. So let's read Matthew chapter 3 and I won't be super long today. I'm just going to draw a few quick conclusions to give you some handles on what it looks like when King Jesus comes our way. It says in Matthew chapter 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, talking about John the Baptist. He's going to be a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way, make way for the king. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a le- leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out, of, out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. But when he saw the many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, not the best way to win friends and influence people. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Shots fired by John. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The rest of the story in chapter 3 says that then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, we could look at a bunch of things here and we might do that again in a couple weeks, but today I just want really quickly to draw three quick observations as to what happens when we make way for the King and when Jesus starts to enter into our world. What can you expect when the weight of his glory and his goodness and his power, when the heat of his presence, when the ferocity of his love and the power and weight of his joy come near us? Here's what you can expect. To happen, and you might be in a moment where these things are happening. So hopefully, this helps you. The first thing, when when Jesus comes near, I want I want to look at is this: when King Jesus comes, first and foremost, revelation happens. The truth is revealed. Our response to King Jesus, first and foremost, is this: make way for revelation and repentance. Our relationship with Jesus begins with revelation. With seeing him for who he is. When Jesus comes into the picture of our lives, when he presses in, the first thing that he disrupts and displaces and even destroys are deceptions, delusions, and distortions that we have been living with. He moves in as truth and begins to disrupt the lies that swirl around us. We begin to see differently. Our relationship, your relationship with Jesus, it doesn't start with doing stuff. It doesn't start with your actions. It actually starts with your thinking. It actually starts with who you perceive him to be and how you perceive the rest of the world. This is why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth, and seeing clearly is evidence that he is drawn near. Let me say that again. If you're seeing things differently, your eyes are being opened, there is a high probability that as you have been pursuing Jesus, he is drawing near to you. This is what always happens. Some of you have experienced this. Maybe you're experiencing it now. When the king comes near, we start to see differently. First thing we start to see differently isn't the world, isn't even ourselves, it's Jesus himself. Notice what John the Baptist was trying to do. His whole job was pointing to Jesus. Other gospels talk about how he said, like, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look to Jesus. He is great. John once said, He must increase and we must decrease. I must decrease. John's reverence for who Jesus is. He's saying, you know, one more powerful than I. At the time of John the Baptist, he was the most important powerful voice in his day and he turns and he uses his platform to say no Jesus is greater I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals when Jesus draws near the first thing that changes is your vision of who he is he is not your homeboy he's not some good moral teacher he's not somebody who has some suggestions for your life he is the king of glory And he wants to come in and draw near. And the first thing that changes is how you see him. He becomes greater. But here's what happens. The moment that Jesus becomes greater, you've probably experienced it on a micro level. You've come into a worship service. And you've started to worship Jesus. Or maybe you're out for a walk in nature. And God just starts to reveal himself to you. As he opens your eyes to see him, what happens? You start to see everything else differently, don't you? The world becomes illuminated. You start to see things differently. Like, notice, notice John the Baptist is just coming in hot at the Pharisees. I mean, he's calling them out. Why? Because pretense and fakeness and deceptions and posturing and presenting yourself in a way that's actually not true can't stand up in front of the real thing, of Jesus who is real truth. And so so John starts calling it out, just saying, no, 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 he didn't come here for who you pretend to be. He's moving in in reality. And the first thing that pops is all of the fakeness and falseness and pretensions around us. You can't get near Jesus and keep pretending. He just cuts through it. He just presses through it. You start to see things more, more clearly, even beginning with yourself. The Apostle Peter, when he realized who Jesus was when he was in his boat, what happened? He, he starts to see himself. It's like, oh, I'm unclean. I can't be near you. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees the, the, the Lord most high, what's his response? Not, oh, cool. It's, oh, woe is, woe is me. You start to see things differently. And you start to see the world differently. When Jesus moves in, you know what happens? A lot of the things that seemed really authoritative in your world kind of start to see, seem a little less authoritative. Have you ever had an encounter with God that just reset the voices that were influencing you? Like maybe it was the news, maybe it's politics, maybe it's the voice of fear. But then you have this moment with God where he reveals his greatness to you. What happens? All of a sudden, all of those other competing authorities in the world start, what they get brought down, don't they? As his Greatness increases. Things that you thought were impressive are no longer impressive. I'll never forget, uh, Pastor Anthony and I, we we went out to California to go to a a conference. And it was one of the most glorious conferences we'd ever been in. Like 5,000 people in a room, all dialed in. The presence of God was so powerful. And this conference happened to be in Hollywood. And so Melanie and I decided we're going to go and check out Hollywood. And we went down and we saw the, the, the stars on the walkway. What's that called? Like the Walk of Fame or whatever. We, we saw it and we just were walking around after coming out of that glorious moment. And we we're just like, this is the best the world has to offer? This is the pinnacle? Yeah. I want to go back to the real thing. That's real glory. That moment where the king is showing up. So you start seeing things so differently when the king comes. And where it leads ultimately is we start to connect the dots of our desperate need for him. When we see Jesus, you start to see that our politicians, they're just people, and they don't have eternal solutions to fix eternal problems. And so we say, Hosanna, come save us. When we see Jesus better, we see ourselves better. That, hey, you know what? Me white-knuckling this thing might not be a good strategy to get real victory. I need someone who can deliver me. Jesus, Hosanna, come save me. You start seeing things so differently. It leads us to repentance. A.W. Tozer once said this, he said repentance isn't only sorrow for past sins, but it's this determination to now do the will of God. So what happens when Jesus comes near you is he starts to show you the, the dysfunction and the inadequacies and the dis, deceptions and distortions that you have believed, and he begins to turn you towards a whole new way of life. How many of you heard the word, you've heard the word Repent. Obviously, if you've been around church, you've probably heard that word. Most of us feel like there's that's like a big wrist slap, like repent, stop being bad. That's not what repentance is. Repentance in the Greek means to look again or see differently. It means to like have thought one way and then to turn another way and to see things entirely different and walk in that new reality. That's what repentance is. It's to turn your mind and your life in a different direction. That's repentance. This is why the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said in Romans 12, he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so after a revelation of who he is, respond by offering your whole life as a living sacrifice. Present yourself to him, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And he says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't go back to that way of thinking, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your, say it. Yeah, or, or the NLT, I like how it says, changing the way you think. Transformation is connected to changing how you think. And Jesus wants to move in and change what you think so you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. I need you to hear this this morning, though. If, if Jesus is moving in your life, you're going to start to see him differently. You're gonna start seeing yourself differently, and you're gonna start seeing this world differently. And the invitation is for you to turn in His direction and say, God, change my mind, change my thinking, and help me walk in this new reality. One of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray is, Jesus, change my mind. Change my mind. Help me see differently. You know, sometimes if we struggle with sin, we think, God, give me the power to not do that, which is, which is an okay prayer. But you know what a better prayer is? God, show me the lie that I'm believing that is causing me to go there again. Change how I'm thinking. Rewire the neuropathways in my mind so that I stop going to that thing that keeps leading me to destruction. So God wants to lead you to see things differently. But when he moves in, repentance begins to happen, but it doesn't stop there. As we turn and we present ourselves to God, here's the next thing that happens as we make way for the king. When King Jesus comes, the sin is removed. Sin is removed. We actually are invited to make way for refinement and reordering. You know, we hear things a lot like, You're perfect just the way you are. That's a pink song. Pretty, pretty, please don't you ever, ever feel like you're nothing less than perfect to me. Can I say something that's politically incorrect? You are not perfect just the way you are. In fact, you are a better part of a train wreck. (laughs) Me too. Jesus did not come to coddle your dysfunction. He does not move in to try to put his arms around you and just say, I love you just the way you are, let's just stay that way. He moves in and says, I accept you just the way you are, now let's start to walk in sin no more. Let's start changing you from the inside out. Not this behavior modification like the Pharisees, that, that Paul or that John and Jesus were so repulsed by, but true transformation in the inner man, where you start to become more like Jesus. As Jesus gets closer to us, hear me: sin, dysfunction, brokenness, baggage and bondage have to get displaced. They have to go. They're destroyed and dealt with. They can't stand up to his presence. Jesus loves you just the way you are and way too much to let you stay that way. He actually wants to move in, put his arms around you, and get his grace into you. How many know that God's grace isn't just a covering grace or a saving grace, but it's a changing grace? It's actually meant to get inside of you and to start working its way in you and to change you little by little, day by day. And this is really what, Paul, what John is getting at. Sorry, I keep saying Paul. It's John the Baptist we're talking about. Brent, John, 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 it's John. But John says, no, I, I'm baptizing you with water. It's like this outward picture of repentance. But the one who comes after me, he, who's more powerful than I, He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What does fire do? Well, first and foremost, fire is not safe, is it? Not in the least. But fire either consumes or refines. Those are the two jobs that fire does. It either consumes, like destroys and just eradicates, or it brings out something better. It turns sand into glass. It refines gold. And that's what Jesus does. He comes in to deal with sin and dysfunction in us. And I just think we need to start normalizing transformation in the church again. Amen? Like, we, you, this might be the most countercultural thing that Christians do in the 21st century is just by standing up and saying, no, nope, you're not okay just the way you are, and the world does not have to conform to my patterns, and I'm not going to conform to it. I'm conforming to Christ, and my expectation is he's going to change me dramatically. Like, how about this? Imagine, you know, you know how, it, like, it's almost like a, a slight when you say to one, if you meet a friend and you're like, oh, you've changed. Oh, I saw Brent last week. He's changed. <laughs> in the church, we should be high-fiving. Oh, Brent's changed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's changed. He's different. He's different. He's, he's not the same as he used to be. That should be, we should be high-fiving. You should see people once in a while, especially like post-pandemic. You know, people are, we're seeing each other. We're having all these reunions. Like, oh, Don, you've changed, man. He's like, and he's like, darn tootin'. Does he, does he say darn tootin'? Do you say darn tootin' Don? I don't know. Is that still a word? <laughs> We've changed. We, should, we, need a, we need a normalized transformation instead of causing the world to, like this is so, don't, don't, I'm gonna get canceled for this, but the whole world just wants to, we need to normalize everything about us. And like everyone's got to accept me for me and my own unique little fragmented feeling, full identity. And, and Jesus says, I, I didn't come to it. I didn't come here to affirm your dysfunction. I came here to transform you into my image. I'm gonna make you just like me. And actually, you see that even in the New Testament, like the boldness. Can you imagine if I got up here today and I said, hey, everybody at West, follow me and model your life after me, Brent Ingersoll, as I model my life after Jesus? Can you imagine? Imagine I said that to you, You'd be like, who does he think he is? Paul actually said that. Like transformation was so normal where he's like, okay, you know what? Copy me as I try to copy Jesus. Change your life as he changes my life. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus isn't just trying to convince you to think different. He's trying to actually burn up the chaff in your life by the fire of his presence. He's trying to burn up the lies that you believe and burn up the dysfunction that's wired into you and bring real transformation. When King Jesus comes, he begins to change us. And I'll tell you something. Let me just, some of you who are new believers, you are on a lifelong journey of a God who is relentless in chasing you down and changing you like, to be like him. He doesn't let off. Anybody been following Jesus long enough to think you arrived? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, you're just like, you know what? It's like God, Jesus, God leads us and transforms us from glory to ever-increasing glory. That's what the consuming fire does. It transforms us. It changes us. He's not done with you. And so if you're finding the heat being turned up, maybe he's doing that. To consume things that need to be consumed and refine gold that he wants to bring out for his glory and for your good. That's what he does when he comes, he changes you. I'll never forget. Um, in 2002 to 2005, were probably the most formative. Moments of my whole life, like I was a young adult, I went to college, and God was really getting a hold of my life for the for like uh, in a new way. And I remember, I'm pretty sure it was Pastor John Simons when I was at Kingswood. He preached this message. If it wasn't Pastor John, it just means that he's the voice of that time. But I'm pretty sure it was him. He told the story to try to help us understand like this process of transformation. We we use the word sanctification. It's God's work in us to make us more like Jesus. And I remember, I remember this story about, like, when Jesus comes into our lives, he comes to the house of our life. And you've heard the scripture, you know, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, I will come in. And salvation is that picture where you respond to Jesus knocking. And you say, I need you, come in, Hosanna. But then what happens once he enters the house of your world? Over time, he starts to say, you know what? Those drapes are problematic for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna replace those. And you know what? This part of the house is we need to actually accent that and bring that out. And Jesus starts little by little reordering and rearranging your world. Anybody notice that? And there comes a day though, and this is what the whole baptism of fire is. There comes a day where he doesn't just move in and start sharing the space, but he little by little incrementally starts rearranging your whole world. And then one day he says, Brent, I actually I don't want to just help you decorate. I want to own the deed. Give me the deed to your house. This house is now my house. That's what Jesus does, and that's what he's trying to do. And so some of you right now, in your journey, like you're going to Alpha. We've got a bunch of people who are going through Alpha. God, show yourself to them. But he's knocking, saying, let me in, let me in, believe on me. And then when you let him in, you know what he starts doing? He starts taking things and rearranging things, jettisoning, jettisoning, getting rid of some things, and adding some new things. And then one day he comes and he says, why don't we just exchange? I'll take the deed. And that's what King Jesus does when he moves in. He gives us his whole life as he takes over our life and he starts to give us the blessing of knowing him. Now, here's, here's the one final thought we need to understand, though. I'm gonna be done in a second. Actually, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get the keys to come back and we'll, we'll wrap up here and we'll pray and be done. But you need to understand that Jesus, some of you are like nervous, I can sense it. Like, oh man, Jesus is gonna come in and like disrupt everything. And how many of you in your house are like just so people? Everything has its place, don't touch it. I might be married to one, maybe. No, 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 no. I'm the just so person, actually. But some of you are like getting anxiety, like Jesus is gonna come in and he's gonna start taking things and removing things. I like that thing there. I'm very comfortable with that thing over there. But here's, here's the good news, and this is, this is, I think, how John chapter three, or Matthew chapter three ends, is Jesus doesn't just come in to take things, but he comes in to take things away so he can give what is better, that's what he does. In fact, Jesus will take things from you that take things from you. Hear what I said? Like He, he wants to remove things that rob you. This is why I said in John 10.10 10, that the thief only comes to kill, steal, rob, and destroy. I have come that you would have, say it, life. So if I'm pulling something away or I'm burning something up, it's because I want to add something better. And this is what, this is what uh, Peter was saying at the end of one of his hardcore sermons in Acts chapter 3, look what he says. He invites, he says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this, that his Messiah would suffer. Now repent and turn to God. Here's why. So that your sins may be wiped out, okay, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is why God invites us to repent. This is why he invites us to surrender. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He wants to give you what you do not have. And this is, this is the last point, and I'll be done. I'll pray for us. When King Jesus comes, the heavens are released. The heavens are released. You have to actually make way for renewal and revival. He, he, he comes to actually bring the kingdom of heaven with him. This is the best news. He actually comes to bring fullness of joy and peace that passes all understanding and grace that is sufficient to give you power that's made perfect in your weakness, to give you mercy when you need mercy and hope that cannot be shaken. He's come to give you all of these things. This is why he comes. He comes to open heaven and all of the blessings thereof to you. That's the good news of Jesus. But it's, it's a conflict. Look, look what happens when Jesus comes and he gets baptized. As soon as Jesus was baptized, verse 16, he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love with him I am well pleased I love I love the uh, the word here in the picture that at that moment heaven was opened that word opened is the same word as like Greek and torn rent rend, rended, opened up same picture that we get at the end of Matthew where Jesus cries out at his finish and it says that the the, 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 the the veil or the curtain in the temple was torn. It's that picture that's painted here, that heaven was open. And this is the theme that you're going to start to see play out through the book of Matthew. You're going to see Jesus walking and bringing the kingdom of heaven with him. And that's what he wants to invite you and I to experience is the kingdom of heaven in our real day-to-day life. Jesus came to open heaven to all people, to deal with the separation of heaven and earth. He came that God's favor would rest on us. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. We talked about that last week, about being brought into the family, into his, into his like genealogy, and we walk with his presence. I love it, it, the, the dove. The dove descended on him. And stayed with him. We are invited through Jesus to walk in daily communion with him in the presence of God. Experiencing his favor and provision. Does that mean that life is going to be easy? No, but it's going to be good. He is good. And So I don't know who needs to hear this today. I don't know if this, is, this isn't some big thing. You need. We all need to rush the altar today. Maybe you do. Maybe there's something God wants you to repent of. But I felt like there are some people that maybe somewhere in this journey where God is maybe showing you new things, or maybe there's a moment where you know I need to actually repent and turn, or maybe God just wants to remind you that He has good things for you. That renewal always follows crisis. Do you know that? Renewal always follows crisis. The times of refreshing come after these moments of conflict. Here's what I want us to do. I'm just going to ask three questions, and then I'm going to pray, pray for us. But three kind of Matthew, pray, Matthew prayers, Matthew 3 prayers. First, a prayer for revelation. Jesus, help me to see you better. Help me see you better. Show me yourself. Show me myself, and show me this world more clearly. Number two, repent. Jesus, search my heart, displace and destroy all that robs me of the abundant life. And number three, renewal. Jesus, let the grace and truth of heaven invade my whole life and lead me in the way everlasting. That is the prayer of the disciple. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'm going to read this. David worded it this way. Just all of our locations, go ahead, Halifax, West. I'm just going to read this over us and pray this over you as you go, that you would walk in fellowship with him. But here's the prayer of a disciple. Here's a prayer of someone who has welcomed in the king. Lord Jesus, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive, wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Can you just bow your heads, close your eyes, open your hands. Let me just pray this. At the sound of my voice, just let your spirit agree. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. God, untangle the lies in me. Untangle the deceptions in me. See if there is any wicked way in me. Just open yourself up right now to the Spirit. Let Him look. Let Him look for dysfunction, stuff that's robbing you, it's destroying you. Just say, God, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, thank you for your grace. Jesus, thank you, King Jesus. We thank you for saving grace today, that your grace has bought us for a price your blood has ransomed us, that it has atoned for our sins, that it even cleanses us of all unrighteousness, that that we have been made one with God through the blood of Jesus, we thank you. And now, Lord, we thank you for your sustaining grace that helps us this day. And, Lord, we thank you for transforming grace that makes us like you, Jesus. And, Father, I want to pray over my brothers and sisters today. Lord, we just say, we believe that it is normal Christianity to become more like Jesus. We just say it. We want to be more like you, Jesus. Help us walk in greater wisdom, greater grace, greater mercy, greater peace, greater power, greater favor and provision, greater joy, we pray, in Jesus' name. And God, remove everything that would get in the way of that. Disrupt it and displace it. Consume all the chaff, God, and refine all the gold, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all the disciples said, amen, amen, amen.